I'm T. Allen. I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. I'm your host, T.L. Well, it's been a fantastic week around my house. I mentioned last week our eighth child was born on the Feast of the Holy Name of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, which just was a really fitting day for her to be born. And uh, so we've taken the last week just really slow, uh, just trying to look at the world through the lens of this infant. Everything gets condensed down. You know, we, we I took a week off of work. I had family in town watching the older kids, and we just kind of camped out with this tiny little human. And the whole world shrunk. And, you know, you, you that the baby doesn't go anywhere for the first little bit. We, we stayed at home just about all week long, didn't go out anywhere. And for a lot of the time, we stayed upstairs. And so our whole world shrunk to fit this shrunken human being. And so this evening, uh, we're going to take our first big outing with, uh, with the baby. We're going to go over to the church. We're going to attend Mass. And then we're going to have this child baptized. Uh, she's going to go through the sacrament and receive the graces of God that he's given to us through the church for her to be then reconciled to God through his redeeming work on the cross by the means of baptism delivered to us by the church. So here we have this whole mystery all wrapped up uh, in into the smallest little package. And God's saying here at this earliest stage, before you can choose me, I am choosing you. And so here is the, the beauty and the depth and the richness of the sacramental life of the church, saying that, God is the one who takes the first step. Before you can even choose anything, I have already chosen you, claimed you, called you. And so here, as her parents, we're taking her in, in obedience to the Scripture, in obedience to the church, and in truly in faith of the work that Christ can do through the sacraments. We're bringing this child for her first outing, for her first experience— to go and to receive the graces of God. This is a different perspective than I had when, uh, than when we were Protestant. I always grew up in a tradition that, that had infant baptism, but I look back on the baptismal certificates of those children who were, uh, who were born before we became Catholic, and the, the first child was baptized nine months after he was born. Uh, the second was like six months, and then... We're getting closer and closer to Catholicism. The last one was born right about the time that we knew we were becoming Catholic. And so we're thinking, well, you know what? We're going to wait and have this child baptized when we become Catholic. Uh, And so he was four months old by the time that we came into the church and had him baptized. And I just today, I can't even fathom waiting that long because the, the baptism is not just this rite of passage that we do. It's not this thing that we... Uh, take our kids to, and we get to dress them up in in beautiful white clothes, and we get our families there, and we take pictures, and uh, and so then we can remember it because we're supposed to remember our baptism, right? No, this this is something far more important and far more profound. In fact, the the code of canon law, which is the the juridical law that 
that guides us as a Catholic church. Uh, the current code of canon law that was put out in 1983, it was promulgated. It, it talks about doing this as quickly as possible uh, within the first couple of weeks, if at all possible, uh, that baptism is not to be delayed. Because baptism is not just this rite of passage. Rather, it is a ritual and a sacrament that provides actual, real, profound, life-changing grace to our children, washing away the stain of original sin and bringing them, reconciling them to God the Father and bringing them into the full life of the church. This is such an important thing. And so I encourage you, if you... Uh, if you've not been baptized or if you have children that are maybe getting getting a little bit older and you're thinking, well, I'll, I'll do it eventually. I want to tell you, now is the time. Go, go to your priest and say, listen, we haven't done this yet, but we want our children to receive the graces of this sacrament, the sacrament of baptism. What do we need to do? Let us get this ball rolling because here Christ wants to meet with your children. You know, I've heard some people say, I'm going to wait until they're old enough to choose for themselves. But we don't do that on other important things, right? We, uh, we take our children to, re- to receive medicine when they're sick. Uh, we take our children to receive the vaccinations that they need before they get sick uh, so that they can be safe, right? We, we tell our children uh, that they have to go to school even if they don't feel like it that day, right? We, we look at things that are, we, you have to eat your vegetables before you can have dessert. We look at things that are important for their long-term well-being and health, and we say, I'm going to be the parent here and make a decision that you might not like for your own good. And that's what we do in baptism. We say, you know what? You're not in a place specifically with our infants. You're not in a place to make any decision. You don't know anything. You, you, you can't even move your hands where you want them to go, right? Uh, and yet, and yet there's something that is beneficial for your long-term spiritual health. It's the thing that you need more than anything else, the spiritual life and sustenance that you need. So I'm going to take you, and I'm going to present you to the church, and I'm going to ask that the church bring you into the family of God, pass on to you the faith, and give you all of the riches of the life of God through this sacrament of baptism. That's what we're going to do this week. If you think about it tonight, would you say a prayer for us and our family as our youngest is initiated through baptism into the life of the church? Today we're going to be talking with Kevin O'Neill. He's got this fantastic book that teaches your kids uh, the, the truths of the sacraments of the faith using a familiar medium that of building blocks will snap together toys it's called the catechism of the seven sacraments we're going to talk about it how it relates to baptism and how it teaches baptism right after this join us over on social media facebook.com slash step outside the walls on twitter the handles at outside the walls there's much more to come right after this so don't go anywhere you're listening to outside the walls with tl Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, 
And as we talked about just now, uh, my eighth child, our eighth child, uh, was born this last week, uh, the Thursday before, on the Feast of the Holy Name of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And uh, so right now we're looking towards baptism. We've got the the baptism is scheduled for tonight, this this Saturday, uh, right after the Vigil Mass. And um, as I'm thinking about that and trying to put together the show and thinking about what we might talk about, uh, the baptismal promises from the right kind of trickled to the top of my mind. And the, the priest asks the parents, looks at us dead in the eyes and says, you have asked to have your child baptized. In doing so, you're accepting the responsibility of training him slash her, depending on what you have, in the practice of the faith. It will be your duty to bring him slash her, depending on what you have, up to keep God's commandments as Christ taught us by loving God and our neighbor. Do you clearly understand what you are undertaking? And every parent in the history of the world uh, who has heard these has lied and said, yes, I clearly understand what I'm undertaking because every child is a little bit of a challenge and, and a new experience of God's grace. And so now we as parents are the primary educators of our children in the faith, and the faith is complex. So how do we do that? How do we pass on to them the knowledge of what they've received in this sacrament and the sacraments to come? So to talk about that today, we're talking with a friend of mine. I've known him for uh, some time now. Uh, Kevin O'Neill, Kevin and his wife Mary, have this wonderful, hefty, huge book called, but unlike other huge books, it's really uh, accessible. It's called The Catechism of the Seven Sacraments, and it's put together with an immense amount of theological knowledge and an immense amount of children's building block toys. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Timothy, thank you so much for having me on today. So you and I, we are, uh, we both are the parents of many. We just had our eight. You're expecting your eighth. And I'm going to assume that somewhere in the middle of the night as you were walking down the hall to change a diaper, you stepped on the Lego that brought in this idea of maybe there's something useful for these things <laughs> that we can put them to good use. Tell me a little bit about how this book, Catechism of the Seven Sacraments, came to be. You bet. You know, one of the, believe it or not, the way that this came to be was my children had a book that had snuck into our house called The Brick Bible. And unbeknownst to us, we didn't realize it, that the the Brick Bible was written uh, by an atheist. Mm -hmm. And it was really written in a way to uh, manipulate the minds of children into this angry, vengeful God of the Old Testament, teaching them about circumcision and other things that, you know, it, I mean, look, when, when your child comes up to you after reading a book and asks you questions about Onan, hmm. as a parent, it's time to look into it. And that's what we did. And when we found out how manipulative and how uh, really graphic a lot of, of the pictures were that were certainly age inappropriate, uh, we took it away from the kids, but what, what we noticed was they had this draw towards it, this repetitive nature towards the book because of the tools that it used. And I said, you know what, I want to do that, but I want to do it right. And we're going to make a book just like this, but we're going to use typology and the Catholic faith, and we're going to teach the sacraments. And so that's how we ended up where we are today. And I have to tell you, um, you, you sent this to me some time ago, and my boys, again, have just been drawn to it. Of course, they, they spend hours making their stop-motion videos with their brick toys, whatever they happen to be. Uh, and they'll just 
create and create for hours and hours. And so for them, this is a way that, that they can begin to appropriate theology without really even knowing it. Because, you know, you'll, you see it, you see the toys, you see them that you recognize and they're everywhere and they're in movies and video games and uh, available for far too much money that you can have them in your home. Uh, and, and so there's this draw to them, but there, you think of them as being kind of this simplistic, really approachable, uh, straightforward toy, but you're delving in to the imagination, both with the depictions that you have that are just really fantastic. I'm looking at the burning bush right now, and it's quite, quite amazing how you, how you conveyed that. Uh, but you're taking them on this journey, not just retelling uh, to the children the stories, but you actually have characters in this book that are walking through these events themselves as they're coming to an understanding of theology and of really what the sacraments are in a very profound but approachable way. That's right. In in fact, the, the two narrators, if I might, uh, the one is named Fulton, obviously modeled after Bishop Fulton Sheen, and then another young lady named Cynthia. And it's really a discussion of evangelization between the two. It's a question-answer forum that really allows this to, to consider itself a catechism. And just because something is profound doesn't mean it's complicated. And that's the beauty of our faith, that we're really able to wade safely in these waters because the church has handed us the truth throughout these generations uh, that we're able to go ahead and do this now and illustrate it in a way that can really teach towards the long-term memory of children. And that's what we've done through the sacraments and to be able to pull them into it. And as parents, all the time when we're trying to transmit the faith to our children, it seems like we're always pushing. This is something that pulls. And so uh, it's, it's just still bizarre that my name is on that. Uh, but we're also very blessed and, and thankful. And our entire family had a wonderful part uh, in that from the, the oldest to the youngest. So that was actually going to be the next question I had, Kevin. Uh, in this Catechism of the Seven Sacraments, which is, oh, uh, nearly 300 pages long uh, and like eight and a half by 11 size pages. There's a lot of scenes that you have set up in this. Uh, how long did this take you and how much did the littles really have the ability to assist? Because these are pretty pristine scenes that look like they were uh, exacting in, in detail. How, how much assistance did you get in creating the shots here? You know, we, uh, you talk about the assistance. We had, I, I just really can't undersell how much the entire family had to do with this. From my one son, Colin, who really just computers reveal themselves to him, uh, you know, going into the Photoshop to the other one who is very meticulous with the, the Lego toys and being able to say, dad, we can't use this face again. We just used it with St. John <laughs> and that's St. John's face. And, and then to my oldest daughter who really was able to continue to prepare meals because my wife was so, you know, just really dove into the entire project too, all the way to the littlest ones who are closest to the floor that'll go ahead and help pick up the Legos. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about uh, you in, in doing this and making this book and making it a family project. 
you're, I'm going to guess that your family and your children had a ample opportunity to learn from you before they ever got the book. These really deep truths of the faith that really, as you're setting up the scene, you, I'm going to, I have in my mind that you're sitting there saying, okay, and this is why we're doing this children. Uh, and so talk a little bit about that outside of the book. Of course, parents can do this at home with their own building blocks using this book, maybe as a guide, but this explanatory demonstrative way of teaching your children uh, on their level. Yeah. You know, really one of the, the tools that I've always deployed with teaching children or even teaching adults, the faith, because it was the best way for me to learn it was through teaching typology and typology for anybody who might not know what that means. It's really just a fancy way of, saying certain types in the Old Testament, the Old Testament really revealing itself in the New Testament. And so, for example, we just really took all of the dots that have always been there and put them right next to each other. And so to be able to do this and to reinforce it with with our children, uh, it was a great catechetical moment as parents. Again, uh, I would say we've we've certainly taught, you know, I think as parents, you, you're, you're, you're the primary teacher. And so we have gone through this so many times with our children that when it was time to really see it and visualize it uh, and do the work, it really just downloaded into them. And so that was neat to see as a parent, to really see it fully transmitted at this time and hear my children now telling other kids things that they've heard from me and things that I've, of course, learned through the wisdom of the church. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you talk about typology we're familiar with it even though we don't know it. We use terms like stereotype and prototype. And these are all the, the kind of, a, it's a kind of typology that, uh, for instance, let's just give an example uh, that, that Noah uh, in the ark was a type of baptism. That uh, first Peter talks about baptism, right. which that the ark, which corresponds to baptism, which saves you now uh, saved them back then. Or, for instance, you would have uh, Isaac, who is a, a type of Christ, who whose father uh, took him up to sacrifice him, and he carried the wood on his back, and he went up, and God would provide the lamb. And, and then here we have that same echo. It's almost a, like a, a precursor of an echo of what God is going to do at a later time. That's That's exactly it. And now take that using the sacraments. And, and, and let me give a great example that's in the book. And imagine scenes built right next to each other. And, and to sum up salvation history in, in these pictures, we show how sin comes into the world the same way that sin leaves the world. And we show sin came into the world. God walks with man. That's a picture. We see him in a garden, the Garden of Eden, a man and a woman, Adam and Eve at a tree, they take the fruit from the tree, they eat it, and sin and death enter into the world. Well, sin leaves the world the same way. Jesus, who is God, walks with man. We see him in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. A man and a woman, our Lord and our Lady, at a tree, the cross. But this time, this time, the fruit is put back on the tree. And that's scriptural. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And we are supposed to eat from the fruit of that tree. 
which is the Eucharist taken from the tree of life so that sin and death can leave the world. And so these are the biblical typologies that we deploy in here to really teach to the long-term memory of children. And parents can learn the faith as they're teaching it and impart their authority into them. Well, and I would, I would jump off of that and say there's this temptation to say, hey, I got this great book for you kids. Here you go. Have fun with it. Uh, and yet there's so much more richness that can, that can really be gleaned by a parent going through with their child. Because as a parent, you're going to be able to grab onto some of these concepts and expand it even further than a book just can't do. Because you know your children. You know where they are, and you can help break these things out for them in a very particular way that uh, a, a book that's suited for everyone won't be able to do in the same way. And so I encourage you, this is, a, again, available on Storytel Press. As you think about going out and purchasing this Catechism of the Seven Sacraments, use this as a tool to fulfill those baptismal promises that you made when you had your child baptized, that you would raise them up uh, to in the practice of the faith so that they would be prepared and would be able to go out and live this life of faith strengthened by the sacraments that they receive. We're going to continue this conversation right after this as we talk with Kevin O'Neill, author of Catechism of the Seven Sacraments. We're going to put a link on our social media so that you can find that book, order that book, and use this as your children grow in the faith. Join us over on social media. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to come right after this as we continue to explore this book, Catechism of the Seven Sacraments. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and today we are talking about passing the faith on to our kids. It's right in the front of my mind because of uh, our impending baptism tonight as we're preparing to baptize our youngest of eight. Uh, Very happy and excited to do that, and I'm very happy and excited to talk to you about this wonderful tool of helping your children get a, a grasp and a deeper understanding of the faith of the church and what the sacraments are uh, that are these these conduits of grace for them, uh, but giving it to them in a way much like how Jesus conveyed stories to, uh, to his disciples and those that followed him. He gave them deep truths of the faith. He told them about the kingdom of God through the clever use of stories, stories that were on the level of the people that they could understand and appropriate and get a deeper sense of the truths of who God is and how Christ was revealing God to us. So, too, your children can get a deeper understanding of the faith with this wonderful book, Catechism of the Seven Sacraments, that is put together with children's bricks uh, of many different, you know, whatever variety you happen to have. Um, We're talking today with the author, Kevin O'Neill. Kevin, thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. So, we know that baptism is the the very first sacrament. It's the gateway sacrament and the way that we are born into the church. In fact, uh, the church fathers often talk about the baptismal as the womb of the church, that we are born into the church through that baptismal font. And this is is the, the way that we are 
initiated primarily into the church for us to be able to receive the other sacraments of grace. So uh, it's first and foremost in my mind right now because it's the one we're about to celebrate as a family. Uh, But let's talk a little bit about how you use these bricks to explore and, and unpack the beauty of baptism for young children. You know, that's really part of the fun is to really be able to use these bricks to teach children a Bible study and they don't even know it. They're just really learning. And and the beauty of baptism, the beauty of being born again, and the thread that runs from the Old Testament through the New Testament is so much more incredible than people realize. And and I'm going to start at you know, Christ with Nicodemus, when he appears to Nicodemus and, and we see that he comes to him in the night, into the, in the darkness, right? And what does he begin to tell him? How he can enter into the light. And he tells him, unless you're born again of the water and the spirit, you have no life in you. And then he goes into it again. And then what's interesting there in the Gospel of John, it is the only time right after that, the next paragraph is the only time in all of scripture when we see Christ with his disciples and guess what they go off and do? Baptize. And so when you take a look and to hearken back to First uh, Peter, like you had mentioned a little bit ago, speaking of Noah's Ark, and in that day, eight and all were saved and that prefigured baptism, which now saves you also. And when you take a look, All of God's new creation in the Old Testament was through water and spirit. The earth was all water. The spirit, the winds hovered above it. And then God called the ground out of the water. Water, spirit, new creation. Noah and the flood, they they were born again through the water and the spirit. After he released the dove, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, we see this new creation. Moses and the escape from Egypt, the escape from that slavery and bondage that we are now able to escape, which is called sin, the greater slavery. And guess what? They were born a new nation through the water and the spirit. Now, the creation of the earth is not a symbol. The flood of Noah is not a symbol. And of course, the escape from Egypt with Moses is not a symbol. All of these realities point to something greater. And to say baptism as a symbol would be absolutely backwards thinking. They point to the greatest thing of all, and that's what makes the sacraments so special, is the sacraments destroy sin. Mm -hmm. It's greater than escaping Egypt. We can now enter into that new promised land through the grace of God. And so when when we take a look even, there's another thread that's entered in. And baptism, as St. Paul says, is the fulfillment of circumcision. And circumcision in the Old Testament was done, was how you entered into the family of God. And that would be on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. And again, let's hearken back to Peter. What does he say? He says, eight and all on Noah's Ark were saved. And when you take a look at the early church fathers, they said that we are born again through baptism. We are born into the eighth day, the day of the resurrection. You had the seven days or the six days of creation and then the seventh day God rested. Well, guess what? We needed a new day of creation. And that was the eighth day when Christ resurrected from the dead. And now we're baptized into it. And so we show these things in the book. We show how 
Uh, that's why a lot of parishes have eight-sided baptismal fonts right. to remind us that we're born into the resurrection the eighth day. You know, I, I grew up in a Protestant tradition and, and lived, oh, I think I was 33, which is an appropriate time, uh, when I converted into the Catholicism. And, and so for me, I, I knew that baptism was important. And I knew that baptism was a thing that we did as the church. And it was the way I knew that you entered into the church. But there was this idea that it was, uh, even if it, even if I wouldn't have used the term symbolic, that it was merely uh, a spiritual experience. And that it didn't, you know, th- there's this right. thought that what what is real is that which is physical. And that that then there are things that are spiritual that are kind of ethereal. And the Catholic Church flips that on its head and says, no, what is spiritual is the most real, and everything else is pointing to that. Uh, and so when we talk about Christ really being with us or really meeting us in the sacraments, we're not talking about the physical, but we are talking about profound realities that affect uh, our lives. That's exactly it. And the greatest reality is not a symbol. Mm-hmm. That is sin. <laughs> And to get rid of sin, we need the sacraments. That's what it all points to. And that's, that's the neat thing when you see this thread through Scripture and you, we as Catholics start, look, we have home field advantage with Scripture. <laughs> and, and if we can just deploy that and read the Bible through the eyes of the faith, we would see that, I mean, this makes Shakespeare look like Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. That's how profound the scriptures really are. And the beauty of the typology that to see all of this prefigured and that it is something we get to participate in and bring our children into because it is our role to father them and to point to that which is greater, which is our heavenly father. And, and through what Christ Jesus did for us, you know, you mentioned it as, as a, as a former Protestant, you know, one of the things about baptism, you talk about works. This is a work that we are to participate in, not a work of our own, but one that Christ himself gave to us. And so how much better does it get? Right. You know, you hear about, um, and I've had several conversations with Protestants. I had one recently that actually uh, messaged the show, and I talk about it a little bit on our Facebook group uh, of for those who listen to the show. Um, and. I've just, he came in and brought in all of the things that you expect a Protestant to say uh, that's really maybe a little bit even combative. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, this you're looking to works to save you. Uh, and it says that we're saved by grace and not by works. And I think about it and I look at this and say, you know, baptism is really the opposite of that because we're bringing our children, our youngest infants, who really can't do anything for themselves this can be nothing other than a work of grace that God is freely giving without any expectation from, from the recipient at all. He's saying, here is my free gift of grace to bring you into the divine life. Uh, and so for us as parents, this is a gift that we give to our children to say, Christ, who you will come to know, who I'm going to introduce you to, who we're going to spend time uh, developing a relationship with in prayer and going to Mass— uh, and spending time in adoration, this same Christ wants you now at this age, before you have cognition, before you have understanding, because you are his creature and he loves you. Isn't, isn't that the awesome message? 
And even there, again, let's go back to the words used in First Peter, and it says, it now saves you. Mm-hmm. A symbol cannot save you. And we also see in Scripture that it says it is for the remission of sin. A symbol cannot get rid of sin. And so when you take a look at baptism, there is a reality. And again, all of those realities in the Old Testament do not point to something that is not greater. It points to the greater, and that is baptism, which gets rid of sin. But you see, the problem is the second somebody realizes that baptism saves them, even though the Bible says baptism now saves you, you then realize that you are saved by something that is not just faith alone, but faith and a work that Christ put there for you to participate in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have, there's all these scriptures that I never noticed as a Protestant, right? You, you hear Titus 3 all the time. It says, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. But the next line, which we never moved on to, is he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he's poured out on us. So there you have baptism. And you have, of course, we talked about First Peter already. In, in John, he says, Truly I say to you, unless one's born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In Hebrews 10, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here we have baptism again. In, in Mark, Christ himself said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And lastly, the last one I'm going to bring up here is um, in Acts 22, when Paul is coming to a knowledge of who God is, he's been knocked off his high horse. He's there in front of Ananias and Ananias says, why do you now wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so here we have all these scriptures that I never noticed where Scripture itself is telling us baptism does something, not because of who we are or what we do, but because of who God is and what he does for us through these physical means, giving us a profound spiritual grace. And that's it. I mean, how do you top that? It, it, that's the scripture. This is what God has done for us. Let's rejoice, be glad, and participate in it. it it's such a gift. So as we end this time together, Kevin, I want to know what was the fruit of this that you saw in your children? Maybe something that you didn't expect that surprised you out of this, this project that you put together. You know, the fruit of it was really just the sacrifice that all of the kids made even during the, during the time. They really knew that they were working towards something greater. And they kept a drive about them and they were self-starters and they just, their passion was, was really, I've, I haven't seen it since and I understand <laughs> it and that's it, not a bad thing. Time for but another knew, book. <laughs> that's, and that's, that's exactly right. But that was it. The self-sacrifice was really quite the fruit that I saw out of them during it. And, uh, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Pick up your copy of Catechism of the Seven Sacraments at storytell.org. If you type in the code OTWSHOW, you'll get $5 off and free shipping. Better deal than you're going to get anywhere else. Go pick up your copy at storytell.org. 
Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Who knew that you could do so much with a child's building block toy? Uh, We've been talking today with Kevin O'Neill. He and his wife, Mary, authored the book Catechism of the Seven Sacraments, uh, put together entirely using uh, Legos and the like. Uh, as they have made all of these fabulous scenes and walked us through the theology of covenant and of the sacraments. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Maybe you just want to listen to it again. Uh, That's the place to do it. We also have an extra segment with Kevin that we explore a little bit about uh, the, the behind the scenes of how this book came to be. But more than that, the, um, the charism, that he exercises as a layperson and in passing on the faith through this medium. Uh, that's going to come into play a little bit with our, our scripture today as well. Uh, that extra segment is available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. If you want access, it's really easy. All you have to do while you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, subscribing to the, uh, the archives. Uh, up in the top right-hand corner of that page, you will also see a link that says, Support the Show, hyphen, Patreon. Click that link and follow the directions. For as little as $5 a month, you get access to weekly extra segments with each of our guests as we do a little bit of a deeper dive into the topic of the day. Now, if you're just super intrigued by this book, Catechism of the Seven Sacraments, it is available on Storytel Press. And I want to encourage you to go not to your favorite bookstore online or in wherever it happens to exist in, in real space time. But go over to storytell.org. That's S-T-O-R-Y-T-E-L, one L, storytell.org. And if you type in the code at checkout, O-T-W show, you're going to get $5 off the book and free shipping. It's a better deal than you're going to get anywhere else. So go pick up that Catechism of the Seven Sacraments at storytell.org with a promo code O-T-W show. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading. We do every week because... The foundations of our faith are important. Scripture, it's important to dive into. And the the writings of the church fathers and doctors, it's important for us to spend time with and to become familiar with because it will enrich our faith and help us to really dive into those uh, implications all the more every day. So let's turn our attention now to our reading, first from Scripture and then from church history. Our reading from Scripture comes from the book of Ephesians. It's from today's lectionary readings, and we hear this. Brothers and sisters, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One body and one Spirit as you were also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
By grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, others as prophets, others as evangelists, others as pastors and teachers to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the extent of the full stature of Christ. That reading comes from the book of Ephesians, and here's something that we talked about in the extra segment uh, that I think is so important. As we talk about clericalism and the the destructive nature of clericalism uh, in terms of an entitled priesthood, we also need to realize that it's really uh, incumbent upon us to resist clericalism in a different way. Uh, we can expect as a layperson that the clergy are going to do everything for us. And so we look to our bishops and to our deacons and to our priests and say, well, what are you going to do about the faith here? How are you going to fix all of the things that are wrong? And the whole purpose of their ministry of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers is to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We, you and I, are the ones who are called to do the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith. This is your task and my task. And this isn't to say that the clergy are unnecessary, far, quite the opposite. We need them to give us the sacraments. We need them to speak on behalf of the church. But then we go out and we do the work, right? Uh, some of the work that's been done is this book that we, that we talked about with Kevin O'Neill. He's a layperson. Uh, if you're listening to the show, I'm a layperson, and we're out there, we're doing the work of ministry that we have been gifted to do, the charisms that we have been given. And all of these things come to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we receive, yes, we're going right back to it, through, first and foremost, the sacrament of baptism, which brings us into the church. And then through that, all of the other sacraments are open to us. Now, in our conversation with Kevin earlier, he talked a little bit about typology. And the fathers spent a lot of time reading the Scripture and interpreting the Scripture through this typology of looking at uh, what is similar and what points to and leads to the other. And today we're going to get that in our reading from church history as we look at this reading from St. Peter Chrysologus. He's a doctor of the church and one of my favorites. Uh, We're going to look at this comparing and contrasting of Adam— and Christ, and then a little bit at baptism about how we are renewed from one and remade into the other through that great sacrament. So see if you can point out the uh, this typology as it's present in today's reading. The apostle has told us that the human race takes its origin from two men, Adam and Christ. Two men equal in body but unequal in merit, wholly alike in their physical structure, but totally unlike in the very origin of their being. The first man, Adam, he says, became a living soul. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was made by the last Adam, from whom he also received his soul to give him life. The last Adam was formed by his own action. He did not have to wait for life to be given to him by someone else, but was the only one who could give life to all. The first Adam was formed 
from valueless clay, the second Adam came forth from the precious womb of the virgin. In the case of the first Adam, earth was changed into flesh. In the case of the second Adam, flesh was raised up to be God. What more need be said? The second Adam stamped his image on the first Adam when he created him. That is why he took on himself the role and the name of the first Adam, in order that he might not lose what he had made in his own image. The first Adam, the last Adam, the first had a beginning, the last knows no end. The last Adam is indeed first, as he himself says, I am the first and the last. I am the first, that is, I have no beginning. I am the last, that is, I have no end. But what was spiritual, said the apostle, did not come first. What was living came first, then what is spiritual. The earth comes before its fruit, but the earth is not so valuable as its fruit. The earth exacts pain and toil. Its fruit bestows sustenance and life. The prophet rightly boasted of this fruit. Our earth has yielded its fruit. What is this fruit? The fruit referred to in another place. I will place upon your throne one who is the fruit of your body. The first man, says the apostle, was made from the earth and belonged to the earth. The second man is from heaven and belongs to heaven. The man made from earth is a pattern of those who belong to the earth. The man from heaven is the pattern of those who belong to heaven. How is it that these last, though they do not belong to heaven by birth, will yet belong to heaven, men who do not remain what they were by birth, but persevere in being what they have become by rebirth? The reason is, brethren, that the heavenly spirit, by the mysterious infusion of his light, gives fertility to the womb of the virginal font. The Spirit brings forth as men belonging to heaven those whose earthly ancestry brought them forth as men belonging to earth. And then a condition of wretchedness, he gives them the likeness of their Creator. Now that we are reborn, refashioned in the image of our Creator, we must fulfill what the Apostle commands— so as we have worn the likeness of man on earth, let us also wear the likeness of the man of heaven. Now that we are reborn, as I have said, in the likeness of our Lord, and have indeed been adopted by God as his children, let us put on the complete image of our Creator, so as to be wholly like him, not in the glory that he alone possesses, but in innocence, simplicity, gentleness, patience, humility, mercy, harmony, those qualities in which he chose to become and to be one with us. That reading comes from St. Peter Chrysologus and shows us how we are called out of that family of Adam and into that family of God by the means of baptism. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Today's show is brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. 
I want you as part of that conversation. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 